Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about Disney's Cruella, which is an origin story for Cruella de Vil, the uh, Disney villain who skins puppies. Uh, yeah, this is a, a strange concept for a movie, but as we talk about, and joining me for this one is Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast. As we talk about during the conversation, they do a pretty good job of riding the line of going as dark as this character could be and also making it a fun film for families about a villain who, uh, in theory, would grow to eventually start murdering puppies. But anyway, we'll get into that in the conversation. Uh, before we get to it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. We would love some more five-star reviews. We, we're up to, I think, like, 70 something of them now um you know just let's get that up to triple digits i'd love to see it one of these days uh you can also follow us on social media at piecing pod join the facebook group popcorn and puzzle pieces where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show and don't forget about our produced by david rosen that's me david rosen produced by david rosen patreon where i combine exclusive and bonus and advanced content from this podcast from awesome movie year which is another great movie podcast that i produce uh from my music career and just from a whole bunch of other great projects that i am involved with lots of content over there on the produced by david rosen patreon check it out it's patreon.com slash by david rosen so without any further ado let's get into the conversation talking about cruella all right, so we are talking about Cruella, and joining me today is Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast. How's it going, Gerald? What's up, brother? How are you? It's it's going good. It's I was off work today, which like never happens on a weekday. So well, that rules. That's why I was like, let's do it today, man, because I'm it's it's always a good day when I get a day off. Was that like a four day weekend? No, you know I'm in the restaurant business, so I didn't have oh, okay. the weekend off like a lot of folks did. I had to work. I was off Sunday, but I had to work Saturday and Monday. Sure. And uh, off today and then off tomorrow and then back Thursday for like a 10 day stretch. So, yeah, never ends. But uh, uh, what are you going to do? I'm glad to have you here today, though. So uh, this will be fun. Do you do you think we should uh, put on like a a big theatrical effect while we're talking the whole time? I think that would get kind of exhausting quick, but (laughs) it would fit, though. 
It might be too much. It might be too much. <laughs> well, before we get into Cruella, it is your first time here on Piecing It Together. I've been on your podcast, but mm-hmm. uh, why, don't you, why don't you introduce yourself to uh, our listeners here and what your podcast is all about? Sure, David. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. And, and you know, thanks for coming on my show. It wasn't too, too long ago you came over there and we, we talked about movie soundtracks from what I recall. Yep. Which was great. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do a fun top five countdown show, right? So my podcast is a different guest host with me every week. And they usually come up with a topic. And we just count down our top five favorite things in that topic. It's probably 80% movies. And then the other 20% is mixed up between TV and music usually. Every once in a while, there's a pop culture. Like this week as we're sitting here, our breakfast cereals, our top five cereals is on there. <laughs> but yeah, it's movies, music, TV, pop culture, and it's just a different top five every week. And then I've really been getting into the YouTube space too, so I'm trying to pump up my YouTube channel. Um, it's just youtube.com slash two peas on a podcast. You can look me up over there for movie reviews, trailer reactions. I do a monthly wrap-up show where I review all the movies I watch for that month. And I'm having fun doing that too. I'm not getting a ton of views, but I'm having fun creating and doing it. So hopefully people look me up. But I really appreciate you having me, man. And I'm excited to talk about this movie with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I saw your your initial reaction to it. Uh, and I I kind of have the same feelings that this is, if not the best, like one of the better of these Disney live action things based on their previous properties. And I, I don't love the movie. I mean, there's definitely mm. things about it that I, I think don't quite work that well, but there are so many things about it that do work, and it mm. is just a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, it's definitely not perfect, but when you're comparing it to its predecessors, which I know kind of is the premise of your show to begin with, but mm, yeah, it's speaking <laughs> specifically about Disney kind of origin stories and live action movies. I mean, I don't know if it's the best, but it's definitely got to be one of the best just because I haven't been a big fan of a lot of the live action stuff they've been putting out in the last 10 years or so. Sure. So I thought this was going to be a piece of crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when I, when I saw it, and I love Emma Stone and Emma Thompson. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I saw it and I'm like, all right, here we go again. You know, it's almost two and a half hours. It's Disney trying to do something other than what they're great at, which is just, you know, family animation. Sure. This is not going to, it's going to be another dud, but in my opinion, it wasn't, it it was really a pleasant surprise for me. And I agree with you that there's a lot of things that don't work about it and I'm sure we'll get into it. But at the end of the day, it's definitely a film that I enjoyed and that I probably will revisit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's going to be plenty to talk about, about the movie itself along the way, but I think we should just start jumping into puzzle pieces here. What do you got for your first puzzle piece for Cruella? Yeah, I I assume we're going to have some crossover, so I'm going to kind of start with the obvious ones. I've got a couple kind of like super obvious puzzle pieces. Sure. And the first one is going to be Maleficent from Mm -hmm. 2014, starring Angelina Jolie. I mean, it's a very similar story, right, where we're kind of getting the origin of this Disney villain. Uh, I don't know. I kind of want to defer to you on which one of the two of these you might prefer more. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe recency bias might be hurting me a little bit. And also my love for Emma Stone is like very strong. <laughs> so right, right. I might prefer Cruella. I think Maleficent was well done. Um, and of course, Angela Jolie is just, you know, 
so easy to watch. She's just, she's a really great performer. But this movie, though, was, I think, just a lot more fun and had more reason for being, kind of, even if the direction they took was a little strange as far as, like, changing the character and stuff like that and making so many changes to who Cruella de Vil is. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think using Maleficent as a puzzle piece has to be in the conversation. Yeah, I mean, there's a few different ones. Um, and there's actually a couple more, but I mean, just like in the Disney properties, I mm. think Maleficent's like kind of, I don't know, just jumped to mind immediately because it's like, they're both female. They're both, you know, villainesses that are kind of like, you know, their, their origins are different. Like the reason they're evil is different. Yeah. You know, it's a little more, I'll say it makes a little more sense in Maleficent's case mm-hmm. as far. And maybe I'll be able to tell you what I mean by that. The one major issue I had with Cruella is that her reason for becoming so villainous just doesn't really make sense to me. It's kind of dumb. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, which was my major issue with the film. Um, yeah. But overall, I mean, they're both Disney villains that are iconic at this point in time and they had to start somewhere. So I feel like Maleficent's a pretty easy comparison. I feel like Cruella is so evil that they just didn't know how to ride that line, you know? And it's like they just kind of pulled back so much that it got to the point where it just doesn't make sense as a character. But uh, Yeah, you could be right there. I agree with that, though. Um, I'm going to go to another puzzle piece here. I know we've got plenty between the two of us, so... I am going to go with one. I'm going to kick mine off with something that's not actually a movie. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it's an important thing to get in at the beginning of the conversation here. And this is more of a kind of a concept, uh, (laughs) an idea, a weird puzzle piece. But a Nancy Sinatra, these boots were made for walking Pandora station. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just song after song that that would play after, if you were to type in Nancy Sinatra, these boots were made for walking. Uh Uh, I, I didn't even notice the Nicholas Bertel score and I love him so much but because the movie is just wall to wall needle drops we've got Nina Simone the Bee Gees the Rolling Stones David Bowie Blondie Queen Uh, I think uh, Collider put out a ranked list of Mm -hmm. all of the songs today and it was like 32 songs Mm -hmm. it's insane it's absolutely insane you got to think about the music budget too that they you know to get all these songs but I mean that's Disney for you yeah exactly yeah, this this movie is uh you could not watch it but just put it on in the background while you clean the house, you know? Yeah, you could. It's it's like a jukebox this movie. It really is. Especially is. like transport you know transport yourself back to the 70s where a lot of those songs came from. So can I ask since you brought that up? Sure. Because I actually like the soundtrack and I like the use of music in this film and I know you and I have talked on my show before about, you know, your connection to music and movies and and popular culture and that kind of stuff. I like it, but it seems to be a critical divide. People, Mm -hmm. it seems to be a little divisive. And a lot of people, even friends of mine in the critical community don't like the overuse as they put it of music in the movie in replacement of kind of like original score. What do you think? I'm curious. Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely a little bit torn on that because like I said, the not hearing the Nicholas Patel score kind of bothers me. But at the same time, I when I first got out of this movie and I started seeing uh, all those reactions to the fact that there's so much music, so, so many songs uh, being, being used in this, my first thought about that was I think you guys are missing the point that people are going to love this. Like people are going to love just being entertained by, you know, a moving fun soundtrack the whole time. And I mean, two and a half hours is a long time, you know, for this kind of a movie. And that music I think helps 
keep it moving for that whole runtime. Yeah, the reason why it works for me, well, first of all, I'm a sucker for that. And we, you and I, like I said, we've talked about that on my show before, but I'm a sure. sucker for that. And, you know, Tarantino and Scorsese mm-hmm. and all these filmmakers that really have a, a knack for working with the right, you know, music collaborators to put these songs in the right place and in the right scene. I'm not saying every song in Corella, like the scene wouldn't work without them. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But I think because of this kind of like punk rock, steampunk kind of vibe in London that the movie's taking place, that was a huge part of the scene and of the fashion scene in London. Sure. So if you, in other words, if you were there and you were a part of Corella's crew or you were hanging out in London at that time, you would hear all of these songs. You know what I mean? Right. Like it wouldn't be crazy to hear these songs playing, you know, every 10 or 15 minutes because they were all over the place back then. So that's why it kind of works for me. The only one that's a little hard to defend is I Want to Be Your Dog. Um, th- that oh, yeah. is when it gets yeah. a little eye-rolly, you know? <laughs> that was a bit, that was thrown in for maybe a little thick irony, maybe, yeah. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> you know, to your point, though, she sings These Boots Are Made For Walking In The Movie, Emma Yeah, Sun. absolutely. And, so and, that uh, one fits. It was really prominent, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, what do you got for your next piece? All right, well, I'm wondering if I should give you another obvious one here, but I guess, I, yeah, because I had really two obvious ones, so I'll go ahead and get the sure. other obvious one out of the way, which would be 2019's Joker with Joaquin sure. Phoenix. So what if Joker from 2019 was produced by Disney? I feel like it would mm-hmm. be Cruella. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. You know, a very dark character at its, at its core, and obviously for Disney and being on Disney plus and kind of being, you know, marketed to families and that kind of thing. And then obviously wanting to get the PG 13 or lower rating, it's tamed down a little bit. Right. And it does Mm -hmm. tiptoe around some of the dark kind of like mental health issues that we see in Joker. And then obviously we don't see, you know, the murder and the blood and gore, at least not to the extent that we see in Todd Phillips's film. And I wasn't a big fan of Joker. I, you know, I like it. I think it's a, a quote unquote good movie, but it's, I wasn't a huge proponent of it getting Oscar nominations and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm more on the kind of mediocre side of that, of that particular film. But in Cruella, I just see a lot of those parallels to this character that starts as kind of an underdog that you really sympathize with. And over the course of the movie turns into this really just disgusting kind of villain that you yeah. can't pull for even though you were pulling for them in the first half of the movie and joker was very similar in that way and then you know just like my maleficent puzzle piece you know this is a villain origin story a very popular villain origin story so that for that reason too sure yeah i I have joker on my list as well i mean it's I think it's one that as soon as the first trailer came out, I think a lot of us were thinking, oh, Disney's got a Joker now. You know, they get this this incredibly evil villain character that they could try to make us sympathize with and show their rise to becoming the character that we know them as. And it's something we've already kind of talked about a little bit, um, but just the fact that they're kind of sanding that down a little bit and trying to you know, keep her the hero of this story and make somebody worse than her with the, uh, the Baroness right. with, uh, Emma Thompson. And, and she's great by the way. And oh, she's yeah. like so much fun to watch. And oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that that is the right approach is to make somebody more evil because otherwise it's like, how do you identify with this person? And I, I think that's part of what people maybe had trouble with, with Joker, but you know, definitely this is the, the more fun version because Joker is about as bleak as it comes. I agree. You know, and that's why preface it was saying, you know, if Disney were to get its hands on Joker, you know, and make that movie, what would it look like? And it would probably be very similar to Cruella. Yeah. Sure. 
I think, you know, so, and I think that, I don't know when development started on Cruella, but you got to think if it started after the success of Joker, they were probably influenced by it in some way to make it too, because of how successful, how many awards nominations it received. And it, you know, it was one of those movies that was great for moviegoers and made a ton of money. And it also Mm -hmm. really, the critical community also really responded to it. The awards, the awards circuit did. So it was kind of that perfect movie that was bringing in both. Now, if Cruella had come out later this year, I would not have been shocked at all if it had been in the awards discussion uh, for the Oscars next year. But, you know, with a May release, I don't well, know. Well, especially with the reaction it's gotten. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people people are really enjoying it. And while, you know, the the snootier of our, you know, film community maybe turn their nose up at it, um, it it's, uh, it's something that's going to connect with most people. And I know... Obviously, with the viewership being down, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> these past few years, I'm sure they're trying to get more of these populist, you know, type right. films to to get more of attention to it. But right. um, I'm going to go to another puzzle piece, and I'm going to uh, stick with DC comic book characters because I'm going to go with Superman because Cruella starts off life as Estella mm-hmm. and just dyes her hair and immediately no one recognizes her and she right. and she is this totally yeah. other person right. uh, which, which is a hilarious thing um but i, I mean yeah. it's great yeah it's fun i mean we accepted it with superman we mm-hmm. why not accept it here you know exactly yeah i i have one that that's similar i think and sure. why, why you pick Superman, but I, I don't want to cut you off though. So, oh no, no, I, I'd love to hear. What, what do you have there? So, and I was going to say, hear me out on this, but with mm-hmm. you, with you doing the Superman pick, I feel like maybe it might make sense to you personally. But I'll tell the listeners to hear me out on this. Sure. <laughs> but the next one I'm going to take is I'm going to I'm going to my next piece is my next puzzle piece is The Empire Strikes Back. Sure. All right. <laughs> I had a feeling this is where we're going. Right okay. Now. So. Yeah, I mean, just really the whole Skywalker saga, really. But sure, to to kind of niche it down to one movie, I would say Empire Strikes Back because you have a situation where this orphan kid believes that the big bad it killed his parent, right? Mm-hmm. And then it turns out, well, guess what? The big bad is your parent. <laughs> okay, so that is the arc of the Skywalker saga, and that's what. And, and I've listened to your show before, so I assume you're okay with spoilers, David. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> okay. But that's ultimately what ends up happening in Corella too with the Baroness and how that whole storyline plays out with the, with the cliff at the end and the whole thing. So it's basically the same arc if you think of the Baroness as the big bad that really was responsible for bringing out this evil in Corella, and even more so as an extension as to what happened to her, what we'll just call adoptive mother, I guess, in Corella and mm-hmm. what happens to her. And then the situation with Luke Skywalker and, and Anakin, Darth Vader and that whole thing. So it's a very similar arc, and I mean, I don't know that you would get a lot of argument from people if you think of, you know, Luke, I am your father. I mean, it's one of the most iconic movie scenes in all of cinema history. So of course, let's try to mimic that storyline in some way, because it obviously worked. So Empire Strikes Back is a piece for me. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense to uh, to try to mimic that, but at the same time, I think it takes a lot of balls just knowing everyone is going to think like, 
they're doing Star Wars here, right? <laughs> you know, and right. but but I, I, I yeah, I mean it it makes for a uh, you know a fun twist, and I think it works within the world of this story. I mean, you know, obviously if Cruella is you know has this bad blood in her where she could become this big villain, you know, it kind of makes sense that this other big theatrical you know presence that's also incredibly evil would uh, you know possibly be related to her in some way. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go on to another piece here, and I'm going to dig into the fashion aspect of this movie and talk about Zoolander. All right. Um, <laughs> because we have these two just constantly trying to one-up each other mm-hmm. with their their signature styles and looks. And to get even deeper into it, um, she basically does derelict the uh the classic Zoolander look where right. he looks uh i guess like a homeless person covered in trash <laughs> right. and uh it, it's obviously so ridiculous in that movie and in this it's just one of the many big over-the-top spectacles she does to try to draw attention away from the baroness and kind of ruin her whole situation it's it's part of the whole uh almost montage like sequence of mm-hmm. her kind of getting even with her and trying to drive her crazy mm-hmm. But yeah, th- this whole back and forth between the two of them and setting it in the fashion world, uh, amplified by all the music choices we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. it makes for this big like high fashion world head to head and very, very much like uh, everything that happened with Zoolander. Yeah, I, lo- I love that mention for Zoolander. I did not think about that one. My next puzzle piece is going to be uh, directly related to fashion, though. But what I just wanted to say real quick while we're on this subject, though is this was my main issue with this movie. Mm -hmm. Now, if it weren't for this weird through line for Corella's character development in this film, I would have probably given this like, this would have been like a near perfect movie for me. If you take, if you shave 20 minutes off of it and you take away this weird through line, which is her wanting to one-up the Baroness, Mm -hmm. which for the last two thirds of the movie is really all that's happening is that she goes to work for her to like get the insider information. And you know, she, like you said, she's doing all these different things to try to take the attention away from the Baroness. And it's like, that just seems really like shallow and like not a legitimate reason for her to become the Corella DeVille that we know 20 Mm -hmm. years later in the story. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> this is the non-violent version. Yeah, I is, guess is what it is. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I guess so. But that was what I was alluding to earlier. I don't know if you saw that on my review I did a few days ago, but that's what I was alluding to earlier. That that just really was hard for me to believe. Really, like you know, right. like this is not the way Emma Stone portrays Corella in this movie does not lend to what we know her to become, in my right. opinion. And this whole fashion kind of like storyline is fun. Like it's. It's fun to watch. It's done really well. It just doesn't make sense for what we ultimately know that she's going to be. You know, so I just wanted to mention that since you brought it up. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good point to uh, to go to a quick little tangent before we get to your next puzzle piece. But in in trying to something we've been talking about here like the whole time, and trying to like kind of water down who the mm-hmm. character is going to become, you know. I, I was trying to think of an origin story or prequel that just totally changed some major element of a character that we know so well Mm -hmm. and i i didn't really like come up with like a good one here but it's just that's a thing that this movie really really does and i do think it's 
kind of like you're saying here that that whole segment is like the weakest part of the movie for you. I think just the idea of of watering her down, I think you have to do it, but at the same time, I don't know that they did it necessarily in the best possible way. Right. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think it with with it being Disney and with them wanting to appeal to families, like you said, it's like they kind of have to do it. Mm-hmm. If this had been a Joker, like we were talking about earlier, they don't have to do it, you know, and they can go the taxi driver route and just, right. you know, have blood and gore everywhere and have their R rating and everything's fine. So I think that, I mean, it makes sense why they did it from like a production standpoint, just from, you know, and my kid's not going to know, like my eight year old son watched this movie and he loved it. He wants to watch it again already. And I'm like, dude, chill out. Like, we'll watch it again. <laughs> But he loved it. You know, he doesn't know. I mean, he's seen the Dalmatians in the cartoon and that kind of stuff. But you know what I mean? So in other words, I guess it's okay if you're not an old fart like me that's going, (laughs) Corella's a lot more evil than just worrying about this dress or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So Totally. It's like like you kind of, you look at it and you're like, God, she's rude. You know? like (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, my next puzzle piece goes along with fashion as well. And I think it's another pretty obvious one, but I'm going to say The Devil Wears Prada. Absolutely. From, from 2006. And really b- because of the similarities between The Baroness, which you already mentioned was played to perfection by Emma Thompson, who's an absolute oh, queen. Yeah. And then talk about queens, Meryl Streep, who plays Miranda in The sure. Devil Wears Prada. So they both have this tyrannical kind of like leadership where they you know, have to be the best in their field. They have to be the best fashion designer and they're going to take no prisoners to get there. So they're very ruthless in the way they deal with their employees and their colleagues, you know, in Devil Wears Prada, it's Anne Hathaway. And here it's Estella played by Emma Stone. So it's a very similar parallel arc in terms of, uh, or in terms of trying to get that fashion trophy that golden mm-hmm. that golden number one ribbon you know what sure. i mean yeah absolutely I, th- that movie i think is, is a huge influence on this movie and uh i i think it makes a lot of sense uh to use that as an inspiration for for the story that this movie is trying to tell for this particular character moving up the ranks of the, of the fashion world and having this the baroness be this fashion you know magnet and and to use that because that is like the ultimate when it comes to somebody just being the the hierarchy of that and trying to work your way in and it's like kind of an impossible task to get your way into that world and I, I that that movie is so much fun the Devil Wears Prada really I haven't is. watched it in a long time but it definitely it, it kind of hits the same vein it really is it's one of Meryl Streep's best too and I love a ton of her movies and I would probably put this in my top five Meryl Streep's just because she gets to play that just unsavory like I mean it's Meryl Streep sure. <laughs> so, you're like, Absolutely. you're like, this is Julia Child. This is the sweetest woman in the world. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. she just gets to really like eat up that movie. She chews it up, you know, and she just takes on a different role for her. So it's always been one of my favorite Meryl Streep roles too. And you can see, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen any interviews or anything, but I would suspect that Emma Thompson really borrowed from, you know, those types of performances where these, these actresses had these kind of like one-offs, you know what I mean? Sure. And, and it was sure. very different from Meryl Streep at the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'll go to another puzzle piece, and I definitely could have brought this one up after we talked about Joker, but I'm going to go with Birds of Prey, and Mm -hmm. specifically the Harley Quinn character. Oh, yeah, for sure. um, Played by Margot Robbie, and, you know, just this female protagonist with a whole punk rock aesthetic and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, going bad, but also being 
the hero, even though she's bad, you know, and mm-hmm. leaning very much into the whole, uh, she's a bit much kind of thing, <laughs> you know, that right. whole kind of attitude, sure. uh, but, but pulling it off in a way that, um, you know, I, I keep calling this movie fun, but I think that that's like the main takeaway that, you know, to watch her go over the top and go evil and be so gleeful in it is where the fun comes from. Yeah. You know, I've said on my show before, I, I'm a huge proponent of Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, even though I hated Suicide Squad. It was oh my one, God, of my, the worst. one of the worst <laughs> movies of the decade, in my opinion. One of the biggest disappointments. Now, with that being said, Birds of Prey, the follow-up, I loved. I thought it was great. Sure. Uh, in fact, it would be on par somewhat with my enjoyment, at least for a film like Cruella. But, you know, Birds of Prey also similar to Joker, where they have the R rating, they have the liberties to do what they do because it's not Disney, it's not you know targeted toward families necessarily. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously going to be a little more dark and a little more twisted. Um, but I feel like you're right. I mean, Harley Quinn and Corella, portrayed by Emma Stone here, there's a lot of similarities where they're almost like that anti-hero, you know? Oh, yeah. And or at least in this movie. Now, of course, we know Corella Deville is is just a straight up villain eventually. Yeah, yeah. But in this movie, she's definitely portrayed as an anti-hero, and I think Harley Quinn is as well in the whole Suicide Squad franchise, where, and really in the comics, too. And Catwoman, you could say the same thing about somebody like Catwoman, where it's like, they're, sure. they're bad, you know they're a villain, but you still kind of pull for them. <laughs> and right. that's kind of what's happening in Corella also, uh, because you know, you know what plays out with Corella with her mother and everything, so you do kind of feel that sympathy for her. So it is similar in that way. I think Harley Quinn's a great... Um, analogy to use for her yeah it also helps i mean you know more spoilers for the movie but it also helps that she keeps and loves her dog the entire movie that like really helps like soften the blow of what you at least think she's gonna become yeah yeah (laughs) you're right well uh you ready for mine let's do it let me get a a few left field ones here i don't know i mean maybe i think of them as left field picks but i don't know maybe i went through my blu-ray collection and i was like Going through them, and I had to stop and say, what's the plot of this? Okay, yes, that kind of... And this one really stood out to me. It's also a movie that I love, which probably helps. And it also helps that I just recently talked about this movie in depth on my podcast. Okay. So it was fresh in my memory. I just rewatched it a couple weeks ago. But I'm going to go with Black Swan. Okay. Darren Aronofsky. You know, this is a film about duality, right? So Natalie mm-hmm. Portman, and possibly her best role. If you ask me, I'm going to say it's her best role. But people could argue that point i mean she's a great actress i mean she's got a lot of great roles but i think i would probably go with black swan as well. yeah i love this movie man and aronofsky's could be hit or miss but this is a movie that just was a 10 out of 10 for me i absolutely loved it when it came out in 2010 and she won the academy award for that so natalie portman is the classic story of the swan princess is what they use as the kind of like outline for this movie but like i said the duality so you have the good swan who's dressed in white right and then you have this evil swan kind of like an alter ego almost that's mm-hmm. dressed in black so corella Deville is literally split down the middle and i'm talking about like as you see her because <laughs> she yeah. has the black side of her hair and the white side of her hair totally so and then we have the estella character who we know is this pure genuine kind of sweet you know petty thief that her friends love and they just have such a great camaraderie and then you have Cruella when she takes on this evil persona that really takes over. And it's almost like a split personality and the duality exists there too. Again, they're not going to be able to explore it from as dark a side as Ar- Aronofsky did and Natalie Portman did. 
but the similarities are there for me and it really jumped out to me. So Black Swan is a puzzle piece for me. Sure. Yeah. I, I think that that absolutely works. And I, I love the, uh, the analogy with the hair. I think that that, you know, that splits her personality right down the middle, which mm -hmm. especially with how, uh, you know, how she's portrayed in this, like we, we were talking about, like more of an anti-hero than a straight villain. I think that that, uh, that works perfectly. Cool, man. I'm going to go on to my last piece here. And here, here's the thing. This is kind of a weird piece because the, the first one is a movie that came out, uh, not too long ago. So probably not particularly a puzzle piece but then i also am going to mention a movie that was a puzzle piece for that movie although i haven't seen it in a million years so i kind of don't remember it well enough to actually talk about it that much so the movie the main movie i'm using here as a puzzle piece is the new live action tom and jerry movie oh um, interesting which right. i'm one of the one of the few people who actually enjoyed it i i thought wow. it was a lot of fun it was just really dumb very yeah, very dumb sure. but fun you yeah. know uh, the puzzle piece was how to succeed in business without really trying. Um, both of these movies feature, uh, all three of these movies really, feature somebody who is, you know, trying to get in working at this fancy establishment and, uh, you know, they are really not qualified necessarily for the job, but they kind of fudge things <laughs> to make their way in. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically with Tom and Jerry, the, the main character played by Chloe Grace Moretz is... Uh, you know, she she's kind of a troublemaker, kind of into light, petty criminal things, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like here in this movie, how Estella uh, is doing little crimes with her two little buddies. Mm -hmm. Of course, in Tom and Jerry, she ends up teaming up with and getting help from Tom and Jerry during the process of all the wackiness that ensues. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, we've got uh, Jasper and Horace, played by Joel Fry and Paul Walter Hauser, who basically are playing these characters like you could picture them being cartoon animals if this was animated. <laughs> you know, yes, they really... good point. They feel like a cartoon cat and dog or cat and mouse or something who just get into trouble and you know scatter away when when the, you know the authorities are coming and stuff like that so i i just feel like there's a lot of uh, similarities between these movies and the way that uh you know of course she's going to get in trouble of course things are going to go crazy of course uh the big ballroom is going to get destroyed which it does in tom and jerry it does here in mm -hmm. uh cruella sure yeah. um so yeah I, I just thought that they go really well together as uh as movies where somebody kind of lies their way in and then everything goes screwy from there. That's crazy, man. I, you know, I don't know if you saw my Black Swan pick coming, but I didn't see your Tom and Jerry pick coming. That was uh, that. That's a. Good I imagine one, nobody will, but <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think so. But that's a good one. And you know, as an extension, you could really just say Tom and Jerry. Period. You know, sure. The cat yeah. and mouse game, which really is a component to this film, especially in that kind of middle, like heart of the film. Yeah, but absolutely. I love Paul Walter Hauser. He really impresses me in everything he's in. And I thought, you know, it was it, you, to your point, it was a little slapstick at times, but I thought they did a really good job because how hard is it to be on camera with Emma Thompson and Emma Stone? Sure. I mean, you got to feel like you're just like an extra, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Well, and, and acting against their little dogs, too. Yeah, um, right. You know, exactly. Wink the dog, and I forget what the other one's name is, but I, I don't so know cute. if they were all CGI or mixed of CGI, but... But uh, yeah, I mean, they, they did a great job of doing the com like comedy bits with them, you know? Yeah. Well, let me give, uh, I'll give you another puzzle piece. And then if you want kind of like, you know, I have a couple outlier ones if you want sure. or whatever. But I, one I want to make sure I mentioned, which also lends to my earlier puzzle piece as to why I feel like Craig Gillespie and the people involved in making this project were 
definitely influenced by the Joker because if you're talking about a villain origin story, at least in like modern day pop culture, I don't know that there's a villain more prominent than Joker, right? Sure. Now that's a DC Batman comic. That's not a Disney story or whatever. And I mentioned Joker earlier. I'm going to mention the Dark Knight here, okay? Okay. And the reason why I think this speaks to my earlier piece of the Joker too, and it's just just basically just the lore of the Joker, I feel like I could actually put here. But the Dark Knight, there's a scene when Heath Ledger, which by the way, was one of the most amazing performances ever uh, oh, yeah. in film. He comes into Bruce Wayne's uh, fundraiser for Harvey Dent. And, you know, he comes in and, and like basically terrorizes all the guests there. And then we have the scene in Cruella when Cruella shows up to the gala and she kind of invades the gala and kind of takes over, has the rats going around and everything. So she kind of takes over there, right? And then there's another scene later that you actually already mentioned when she's wearing the trash, like all the garbage as a dress sure. or whatever. And she's riding away in London, hanging onto the side of the garbage truck, like laughing maniacally. And, sure, sure. And there's, yeah. this, there's a, almost exact same scene with, with Heath, Heath Ledger hanging outside of a cop car in the dark night, and he's kind of laughing as they're driving through the rain. So... Again, it's going to be darker in Christopher Nolan's film, right? It's going to be a little more sure. menacing, a little more dark. But if you put these two split screen, these two scenes I just mentioned split screen next to each other, and I didn't do that because I don't have the technology to do that, but I did watch them back before coming on I'm sure on you've your got show. something on your computer. That I could figure it out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I did watch these particular scenes back in, in uh, doing homework for your show. And they mm -hmm. play very, very similarly. Again, you know, the one on the left from Nolan is much darker. And the one on the right is much more fun. Like, everybody's laughing. Like, oh, it's funny that these guys are swinging from curtains. and like. But at the end of the day, they're the same scene. And sure. the same thing can be said for the garbage truck and the cop car, too. They're very, very similar. And to me, that just says that, you know, Craig Gillespie or whoever was involved with, with these storyboarding, Mm -hmm. knew about these types of scenes and wanted to recreate them in a Disney way. Sure. Uh, and I feel like they did. I feel like they did a great job of making kind of a fun version of some of those scenes from movies like The Dark Knight and Joker. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as long as we're back on on the Joker himself and, you know, one, one other point about him is, you know, all these different portrayals of him over the years. The one thing that they kind of all have in common is go big. You know, and if you're going to play Cruella, I mean, that's kind of what you have to do is go big. So I think there's a similar thing in the approach to uh, actually taking on that character mm -hmm. uh, is you have to just go as big as you can because yeah. that that's what it, it requires. Yeah, I agree. I mean, larger than life, especially in the world of Disney, you know, and the people that are tuning into this, most likely, I mean, of course, not everyone. But most likely people that are going out to the theater to see this, because I mean, come on, we're at the end of a pandemic here. So, mm. you know, if people are going to go out and they're comfortable doing that, they must want to do it, you know? So sure. if they're going to do that, most likely they know who Cruella DeVille is. You know, they know right. about the story. They saw 101 Dalmatians as a kid or read it or whatever. So this is a character that most people seeing this movie, with the exception of maybe like my eight-year-old son, are going to know who it is, you know? So they're right. going to expect this larger-than-life kind of origin story, which also lends to the Joker story, too, like you, like you mentioned. Definitely. So you said you have uh, one more piece that you wanted to uh, bring up? Well, I'll just kind of list them. I had a couple here, man. Okay. And I'll just list them and see if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> sure, go for it. But one is from 1982's Annie, or you could just say Annie the Musical. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Orphan Annie. 
So we have sure. a situation here with Estella. There's a scene early on in the movie where she's the young Estella, and she's basically a recluse, and she's on the run because of what happened to her mother. And she's running through the streets of London, and she's being chased, and that's when she meets you know, the two dudes that end up becoming her lifelong confidants. Yeah. And that scene is very similar to a scene that plays out in Annie with the dogs chasing her. And, and then you have the whole orphanage and the whole orphan story built into it as well. So I thought of Annie. Actually, my wife sure. thought of it. My wife thought nice. of it. She mentioned it to me. She's like, Guest you're going to say piece. Annie, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I am. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. Nice. And like then it. the only other one that I didn't mention yet is My Fair Lady with Audrey Hepburn. Okay. Another musical, actually two musicals back to back there. But this one is, again, you have the black and white duality when... Uh, Audrey Hepburn's character finally gets to her full like power up like she's you know this pristine like you know debutante finally and she has the sure. black and white get up that she wears that's very iconic it's on the cover of the poster this was nominated for a ton of Academy Awards and she won Best Actress for it and Audrey Hepburn is the definition of like old school Hollywood starlet sure. and I feel like from a fashion standpoint and then the duality standpoint of so Eliza Doolittle's character, is the duality in this case, is not necessarily good and evil, but it's like poor and rich, right? So when she starts out, she's just very poor character that doesn't even know how to speak proper English. And mm-hmm. then by the end of the movie, she's turned into this debutante who's like perfect, you know? Right. So, but she's still the same person, obviously. So you have her kind of both, both sides of that personality always exist, and I feel like that's similar in Corella's uh, respect as well so that's why i wanted to say my fair lady but that was all the pieces i had beautiful well let's go ahead and do the finished puzzle and then we will uh, get into any closing thoughts here but for the finished puzzle for cruella we talked about maleficent uh, these boots were made for walking pandora station uh joker superman the empire strikes back zoolander the devil wears prada birds of prey black swan tom and jerry the Dark Knight, Annie, and My Fair Lady. Mm-hmm. We've got a great list of pieces here. Obviously, things from the worlds of, of you know, comic book movies, also Disney stuff, also, um, you know, just just big, huge movies, really. I mean, th- this, is, this is a crowd-pleasing kind of a movie, you know, and I, I think it takes big swings and has, uh, you know, its sights set high for um, entertaining its audience, which is the reason why I think people are connecting with it so much. But uh, do you have any, like, closing thoughts or anything we didn't quite get to while going through the puzzle pieces? Uh, I think we touched on most of it. You know, my, my closing thoughts about Corella just as a picture is that it was the definition of a pleasant surprise. I mean, it, just, it really mm-hmm. surprised me because Disney hasn't been able to figure it out until this movie, in my opinion, when it comes to origin stories or live actions. You know, even as much as I love Angelina Jolie, I couldn't get into the Maleficent movies. So this is the first time where I've been like, th- in other words, it's the first Disney live action in a long time that I'll rewatch. Like mm-hmm. that I'll watch more than one time. And that's <laughs> a feat lately. But, you know, Emma Stone killed it. Emma Thompson, the performances are tremendous. I love the direction in the film. I love the aesthetic of the film is very almost like 90s Tim Burton, almost, where it's like yeah. a little, you know, Batman Returns, kind of like dark and gothic sure. in a way. That, that could have been a good piece. Actually. That could have been a good one, too. And I, I thought yeah. about it as well. You know, but that could have been, you know what I mean? Like, it's a little dark, a little gothic, but it's still fun, right? You know, and families and kids can still enjoy it. And, you know, they had to tame it down for that reason. And frankly, I'm okay with the fact that they did that because I see the Disney logo at the beginning and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I understand where that's coming from, from, you know, a making money standpoint. 
but yeah, I love this movie, man. I, 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 it really, really surprised me because it's rare that I go into a movie. And I saw this on Disney Plus. I didn't see it in the theater. Mm-hmm. And I know you saw it in advance. Yeah. But I uh, went into this movie literally thinking I was going to hate it. I was literally yeah. like <laughs> not even remotely looking forward to watching it. And about 30 minutes into it, I'm going, why am I enjoying this? Like, this is like, why do I right, like this? Right. You know what I mean? I kept liking it and, you know, hearing more songs and like, it just grew on me as the movie went on. It, with that being said, I feel like it was about 20 minutes too long. Right. And I wish they yeah. had shaved some off of it because then I would have loved it. But at the end of the day, I did really like it. Yeah, I, I agree. The length is, we, we've complained about a few little things here and there, but I think the length is the number one issue with the movie. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the two and a half hour, two hour, 20 minutes, whatever it is movie, but uh, this one didn't need to be that right. long. You know, this right. story didn't need to be that long. But yeah, I mean, I went into it, I think, specifically for Emma Stone going big. Oh, that, yeah. that's, what I, that's what I was looking for, and that, that's what I got, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think she's really fun in it. Uh, everyone else is really fun in it. Paul Walter Hauser is great. Um, oh, he's the best. He, he's so much fun. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that about does it for Cruella, though. I think, I think we got to it all. Is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to uh, recommend to our listeners? So I don't know if I'd say... I call it a movie. But I don't know. People are not saying it's a movie, but it's a comedy special from Bo Burnham called Inside. Have mm, you heard of this? Yeah, I watched it today, actually. And it's good, right? It's so good. I'm so, glad you so liked good. it because I don't know what I would have said. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I love him anyway, so I'm a little biased. And, but this one was so different because, you know, when I did my little YouTube review of it earlier today, actually, I said it was a transcendent experience. And how many comedy specials <laughs> can you say are a transcendent experience? But Bo Burnham filmed all of these different skits and music videos and like songs that he performed and everything. And he also had behind the scenes cameras set up all over his apartment. So he just filmed like just a ton of footage over the course of a year being trapped in his apartment because of the pandemic, which is why it's called Inside, right? So he's, he's on lockdown like the rest of you know, America. And he's a single guy. So he's literally at home by himself just creating this, what, in, what we ended up seeing on Netflix last week, which is called Inside. But it's really great because it's really funny, which he's known for. So the comedy didn't go anywhere. The comedy is still there. But what I think is really just like beyond amazing with Inside is that it really, he was really willing to show us what the pandemic did to him personally. Right. And it right. really shows his descent into kind of like, his mental health issues and like the loneliness that he was feeling and how that was all compounding on him. And then the pressure of making that movie was compounding on him. And he, you know, there's one little scene in the thing where he's like, I'm not even going to do this anymore. I'm just going to make this movie forever. I'm just going to yeah. keep filming <laughs> scenes. And then when I die, they'll have all this footage. Like, cause he just didn't want to do it anymore. It was so taxing on him and the pandemic yeah. is really at the core. But yeah, I mean, Especially if anybody likes Bo Burnham, you know, he directed eighth grade. He was in Promising a Woman last year. But since he was like 15, he's been doing YouTube comedy bits and songs and stuff. He's, he's just a very artistic creator, you know, and I really like, I really like him. I think he has a really strong voice in, in the arts. And it's on Netflix right now. It's called Inside. I recommend anybody check it out. It's not for the kids, though. It's NSFW. But yes, it's good. I would say that. I would definitely yeah. say that, but uh, but yeah, it, it's great. Everybody should definitely check it out. And um, yeah, 
Thank you so much for uh, doing the show, Gerald. Uh, why don't you yeah, tell man. people uh, again where they can find your podcast? Yeah, man. Well, I'm doing this different thing where if I'm a guest and I'm you know grateful to be a guest on your show, David, thanks so much for having me, man. But I'm just doing this thing where I'm pumping up my YouTube channel. I'm trying to get subscribers and people to, sure. to check out my stuff over there because I'm really having fun doing that lately. I'm getting into video editing, so it's cool to kind of have an outlet for that. But yeah, the easiest thing to do is just go to youtube.com slash two peas on a podcast. That's TWO spelled out. And then we do have a website that has all the links for everything as well, including the actual podcast where you can subscribe to the feed. But that's just two peas on a pod.com. Awesome. Well, uh, again, thanks so much for doing the show. And uh, if you ever need a guest again sometime, I'd love to be on your show again sometime. It won't be long, man. It won't be long. Pitch me a topic. And uh, I'm actually lining up shows for July and August right now. So I'd love to have you back. Let's do it. All right, brother. Hi, I'm Dietrich. I'm Alex. And I'm Ben. We're from the podcast That Song From That Movie, the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. We want you to join us on our voyage across the cinematic sound waves as we take a deep dive on a new song and movie each week to figure out just what makes them tick. Already we've set sail with Celine Dion on the Titanic, found a friend in Toy Story, and gotten drenched out in the rain with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Hopefully each breakdown allows us to answer the ultimate question of what's better, the movie or the song. Or at least learn something new along the way. Just like learning that Toy Story 4 is a meaningless cash grab without a soul. You can subscribe right now on all good podcast platforms. If you use one of the bad ones, then that's on you, and we can't be held responsible. Subscribe to that song from that movie. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Cruella. Thanks to Gerald, again, from Two Peas on a Podcast, for joining me for that one. And uh, we mentioned me maybe joining him again on his podcast one of these days. And I just want to mention, I recently updated our piecingpod.com website. And if you go to the links section, you'll get links to every guest appearance I have ever done on lots and lots and lots of other podcasts. I do uh, guest appearances at least, I would say, like three, four times a month on other people's podcasts. And if you're listening and you have a podcast and you'd like me to join you on your podcast, uh, get in touch with me. I, I'd love to do it. Anytime it's about movies or music or podcasting in general, uh, I am happy uh, to join and have a good conversation. Or I'll even talk about other stuff, too. So, uh, yeah, get in touch. So uh, that does it for today. I want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Don't forget about the Produced by David Rosen Patreon. I mentioned it all at the top of the show. I do also want to mention really quickly that uh, it is June 2021 right now. And at the time of this recording, we are getting really, really close to 50,000 downloads, which is just so insane for this podcast. I mean, this is a completely independent thing, something that I just do here alone in my room, just talking to people about movies and uh, having fun doing it. And it's just really exciting to see that people are out there listening and uh, that it just keeps growing. So I just want to thank you all so much for listening. I'm probably going to bring this up a bunch because 50,000 is a pretty big milestone. So uh, you may hear me talk about this in some upcoming episodes, but I just want to make sure that anyone who is a listener hears that I am grateful for that. So let's close this thing out with a piece of music like I always do. And any movie that has a little something to do with dogs or cats, in this case dogs, uh, I've got to play a piece of music from 
my many times delayed The Pup Pups album. For those that don't know, The Pup Pups is a little comedy album I've been working on for a decade or something now, uh, and it just kept getting put on the back burner, on the back burner, then I couldn't work on it for whatever reason, and then my dogs got sick, and one of them actually passed away. One of them got really sick, and we almost lost them. And it's just one thing after another. I have not put this thing out, but it is going to come out one of these days, maybe this year. Uh, but the album is all these silly little fun songs about my dogs. Some of them actually sung from the point of view of the dogs. They're actually doing the singing. Uh, also the cats as well. And um, it, it's a very ridiculous, silly, fun album. And I'm really looking forward to putting it out one of these days. But I'm going to play a song from that. And I think a good one to play for this particular episode, this is actually like a perfect fit for Cruella, uh, I'm going to play a song called I'm in Trouble. And it's sung by my dog, the Sadie Pup, who is the one who passed away uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, right when I was, you know, in the, the, the middle of actually finishing a lot of these songs, and I was just, you know, really uh, looking forward to going out there and actually maybe doing some live shows and having her and and her brother Harvey like be like sitting up there on stage with me as we sang the songs and so it was uh it was terrible that she just got sick just out of the blue like that and you know you just never know but um yeah, I, I, I love my Sadie, and uh, she was so cute. She was always living life to the fullest and always, always, always getting in trouble. And so this is a song that she sings called I'm in Trouble. It will eventually be on the Pup Pups album. Enjoy it, and we'll be back with more Piecing It Together coming up real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.